Well, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville. Invite all of you, if you would, to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, while you're turning there. I've been walking around this morning and people have been coming up to me saying, uh, who are you? <laughs> are you a first-time guest here? It's like, it's only been two weeks out of the pulpit, y'all. Um, it just reminds me of the verse in Ecclesiastes that the former things will not be remembered. All right, two weeks, I'm already forgotten. So it is good to be back with you, though. I, I was out uh, in Pennsylvania uh, doing some teaching, trying to set the Lutheran straight. All right, and uh, not sure how good I did it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was I was out teaching, and it was it was a great time, a great time in the Lord together with brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, good to be back with you. We're continuing this morning uh, in our series. We've been in all summer looking at the Ten Commandments, uh, taking one commandment each week, and we're asking a very specific and unique question, namely, how does Jesus transform the commandment, the Ten Commandments? And that's how I think as Christians we ought to think about the Ten Commandments. These are not just some guidelines to live by. We have to think Christianly and uh, through the lens of the gospel. And so that's what we've been looking at. This morning, we're on the Eighth Commandment here in Exodus 20, verse 15. And I'm going to invite you in all of our locations, if you're able, to please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Exodus 20, verse 15. It'll take a lot longer to preach this verse than read it. Just four words. Very important commandment. You shall not steal. Would you pray with me and for me as we ask God to talk to us through his word? Father, we bow and we ask that you would speak to us. Um, This is a, 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 a supernatural moment when you meet with us through your word and just pray, God, that you would take this commandment and you would help us see it clearly, not just in light of our own lives, but in light of what Christ has done. So come lead us now and guide us, Holy Spirit, all to the glory of Jesus' name. And we ask it in his name and God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Sarah was 13 years old when she made the discovery. She was, she was at the breakfast table one morning uh, eating cereal eyes kind of scanning the table as she normally would when, when she, she, she looked out on the carton of milk in front of her and she noticed this picture of a six-year-old girl and it looked really familiar. And as she glanced a little bit closer, uh, before long the crunching stopped, the, the, the spoon dropped to the table, her, her face kind of froze And the shock that she initially had when she saw the picture very quickly turned to fear. Sarah quickly realized that the picture of the little girl on that carton of milk was her. She recalls, quote, I was terrified. I got up from the table, I took the carton of milk to the bathroom, and I poured it down the toilet. I tore the carton into little pieces, threw them all away, saving only the picture of me. Sarah was about to discover that for the last decade she had been kidnapped by her father. 
About a decade earlier, her father had gone to visit her and her mother in Norway for Easter. While her mother was preparing a traditional Sunday lunch, her father asked if he could take Sarah to a park nearby to play. By five o'clock, they had not returned. Sarah's mother, beginning to get nervous about the situation, contacted the police to ask if an accident had been reported. Nothing. By 6.30, still no sign of them. And the truth was, Sarah wasn't coming home that night. Sarah wasn't coming home for many, 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 many nights because Sarah was on a flight to New York. Her father had planned to steal her the entire time. And she lived for a decade of her life, brainwashed, abused, moved from one location to another, never really knowing her mother, never really knowing that there was a home where she was wanted. She didn't know until that morning when she saw her own picture on that carton of milk that hers was a life that had been stolen. Now, i got to tell you, when I read that story, it gripped me. Like I, It's hard for me to wrap my mind around the emotions of that kind of situation. Faith family, can you imagine what it would be like to have your childhood stolen? Can you imagine, parents, what it would be like to have your child stolen? And even if we haven't experienced anything quite to that level, my guess is we've all experienced that feeling of having something taken from you. Maybe for you it was somebody stole your car, someone stole your money, someone stole your identity, your seat, your time, your boyfriend, your files, your parking spot at church. Your privacy, your computer, your merchandise, your memories, your phone, your opportunity, your idea, your purse, your sermon, your song, your jewelry, your life. It was yours, and they took it from you. Have you ever had that feeling? Here this morning, Lakeville, everywhere, by show of hands, how many of you, whether it was something big or something small, how many of you have ever experienced that feeling of having something stolen? Hands up everywhere. It is unfortunately a common human experience, which is why you and I go to great lengths to try to protect what is valuable to us. For instance, we put locks on our doors. We put security systems in our homes. We put surveillance cameras up at work. We have identity protection for our finances. We have passwords on our computers. We have fences in our yard. Some of you even have vicious guard dogs to protect your property like this one. Here is the thief running away, and here comes the vicious dog after him, chasing him. Mean little animal. Faith family, do not mess with the Yorkie. It will nibble your ankle to death. But seriously, stop for just a minute and think about, think about all the things you have in your life to prevent things from being stolen. There's a lot. And while you're thinking, let me ask you to do this. Think about what your life would be like if there was no such thing as stealing. Because that, my friend, 
is exactly the kind of life God intended for His people in the Eighth Commandment. Look at verse 15. You shall not steal. Now, this is a commandment we know well. In fact, many of you were taught it as a kid. How many of you were taught as a kid not to take what doesn't belong to you? This is a common thing. Or maybe you were told you can't just take something without at least asking. We have all been taught this uh, and at a young age. But, but what I want us to understand is the Eighth Commandment is so much more than that. It really is. It's more than just don't take what's not yours. For Israel, they would have understood that this was something forbidden for uh, much deeper, more important reasons than just that. I'll give you three. First of all, stealing was forbidden because stealing violates stewardship. And this is something seen throughout Scripture. Listen, God in the Bible is for personal ownership. God wants you to have things. It's why He gave them to you. He wants you to enjoy things. He's given you things to steward those things to His glory. It's one of the ways in which you worship Him. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you'll find that Adam and Eve were given land, property. They were to have dominion. They were to work and keep what they were given. And of course, the serpent comes in and does what? Steals it. The point is that ownership and stewardship go together. God has given you things, ownership, to steward them for Him. That's why stealing is a big deal, because it means that stealing is, notice this on the screen, stealing is trampling on the God-given caretaker rights of another. God gave that to them to reflect Him, and you took it. You interfered with something God had given another person to worship Him by. And by the way, uh, this is why I biblically, as a Christian, reject communism. Oh, that'll get me an email. (laughs) Or even extreme versions of socialism. The idea that if everything belongs to everybody, then nothing belongs to anybody. That is not a biblical idea at all. God has given you things. It's ultimately His, but He has given you things and entrusted it to you to steward that for His glory, which means stealing tramples that. And therefore, God forbids stealing. It's not just a stewardship issue. Secondly, stealing signified slavery. I will not let you forget the context that the Ten Commandments are being given in. Look back at verse 2. This is so important. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of, say it, slavery. I've tried to show you that the Ten Commandments is contrasting life under God, life in relationship to God versus life in Egypt. In Egypt, you had lots of different gods there, but no, you're going to worship the one true God. In Egypt, they would have crafted images. No, 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 you will not craft an image. And on and on we would go. In Egypt, as slaves, you would have been tempted to steal. Now, why would slaves be tempted to steal? Because stealing appears to provide a way out. 
Isn't that true of all stealing? In fact, jot this down if you're taking notes. Notice this on the screen. At the core of thievery is slavery. The the reason why you're stealing something is that you think it's the path to a better place. If I can take this, I'll get the lifestyle that I want. If I can take this, I'll get the, the status that I want. If I steal, I'll get out of Egypt. If I st- but all you're doing is revealing the slavery of your heart. What God is saying here in this commandment is this, and this is so good. You don't have to steal, Israel, because you're not slaves anymore. You don't, I'm your way out, not theft. I am the one that gets you out of Egypt, not stealing. And if you, Israel, continue to steal, all you're showing is that you're still slaves. Number three, stealing was forbidden, not just because it violated stewardship, not because it was just a sign of of a slavery of heart, but thirdly, it expressed a self-reliance. What I mean here is for Israel to continue to steal would mean, you ready, they were not trusting God to supply for them. They were relying on self. After all, what is God taking them out of Egypt for? He's taking them to the promised land. He's going to provide for them all that they will need. So think of it this way. Notice this on the screen. Uh, There was no need to steal possessions because God is going to give them a possession. Y'all with me? You, You don't have to take Because I'm going to give. You don't have to take. All you have to do is receive. I am your God. I brought you up out of Egypt. I'm going to provide all the possessions you will need. So there's no reason for you to steal. Look at Deuteronomy 1 verse 8 says, See, I have set set the land before you. Go in and take what? Possession. Possession. Of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give to them and their offspring after them. I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to give you the land. Look at Joshua 21, verse 43. says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land. He gave it that he swore to give their fathers. And they took possession of it. And they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. In other words, when you steal, you're saying, I'm going to do this on my own rather than trusting God to provide. Do you see how this commandment, everybody with me, Lakeville, you with me? Do you see how this commandment is more than just, well, just don't take what's not yours. It's deeper than that. It violates stewardship. It signifies a slavery of heart that, that you're possessed by the possession, and it expresses a reliance on yourself rather than a trust in God. And yet, of course, Israel repeatedly violated the commandment. I'll give you one example. Hosea 7 verse 1 says, When I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed, the evil deeds of Samaria, for they deal falsely. Here's what they do. The thief breaks in and the bandits raid outside, but they do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them. They are before my face. God gave this good and gracious commandment about a life in the promised land, and they couldn't do it. They repeatedly broke it, and so do we. We are a room full of 
thieves, you say, how dare you? How, do, how dare you call me a thief? You don't know that I violated the Eighth Commandment. Oh, sure I do. Lots of times. Every single one of us has violated the Eighth Commandment in so many different ways. For instance, you can violate the Eighth Commandment. You can break the Eighth Commandment by stealing something physically. That could be something big. You could steal a car. You could steal money. You could shoplift. You could kidnap. Or you could steal something little. You could steal music. It's really quiet in here right now. You could steal music. You could steal office supplies. The U.S. Department of Commerce states that 75% of employees steal at least once while they are employed there. Uh, Over half steal a second time or more. You could steal movies. You know, you could pay for one movie and then when it's done, go to a second one without paying. Pastor Terry does that. I'm just kidding. I don't know that's for sure, okay? It's just rumor. So I figured I'd share it publicly. Uh, <laughs> you can steal term papers. You can steal logos. You, you can steal somebody's reputation through gossip. Oh, preacher. I'll give you an example. Uh, David Livingston, a 19th century uh, missionary to Africa, he, he, he left Britain, went to Africa to prepare uh, for his family to uh, come with him later, uh, and, and he wanted to make sure that things were safe and protected there. But back in Britain, people began to gossip about him. They began to slander his family. It became a very difficult situation to the point where he came back and took them to Africa earlier than they were supposed to go, earlier than they probably should have gone. And within just a short amount of time, Livingston's wife got sick and died. In a very real way, gossip stole from him family, reputation, ministry. You can steal things physically. You can also steal things vocationally. The Bible speaks to both employers and employees in this regard. First, employers, James 5, verses 4 and 5. So for those of you that have people that work for you, listen up. The Bible says to you, behold, the wages of the laborers who mold your fields, that is, those that work for you, their wages which you kept back by fraud... They're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. What's James saying here? You, who have people that work for you, have let greed keep you from generosity, from paying them what you ought to pay them. We're not talking about people that don't do the work. We're not talking about people that that are lazy. We're talking about people that have done their job and out of greed and self-indulgence, you have held their money back. That's stealing. As a Christian business owner who professes faith in Jesus Christ, you look more like this than you do this. Look at it again. You look more like Scrooge. You're holding back for yourself than you do your Savior, namely being generous to others. James calls that theft. 
He also speaks, or Titus speaks to uh, employees, Titus 2, verses 9 and 10, uh, bond servants, which would have been kind of the equivalent of an employee uh, in those days. You're to be submissive to your masters and everything, to be well-pleasing and not argumentative. And here it is, verse 10, not pilfering, but show all good faith so that in everything you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Hey, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, Lakeville, everybody, how many of you work for somebody or work for a company? Your work is your witness. Your work is your witness. And you can steal when you don't give your best effort, when you use work time to do personal things, when you're not allowed to be doing that, uh, when you don't work. There's lots of ways that you can steal as an employee. So you can steal physically, you can steal vocationally, and if I haven't gotten you yet, and I'm going to get you, (laughs) you can steal mentally. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 as he really turns the commandments on their head. Watch, watch. You have heard... This is Matthew 5, verse 21. You've heard that it's said to those of old, you shall not murder, which, by the way, is one of the Ten Commandments. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Why? Because you've murdered them in your heart. Now, this is pretty radical because what Jesus is saying is you can break the commandments not just by breaking them, but by wanting to break them. Because the issue really isn't what you do with your feet or what you do with your hands. It's what you do in your heart. So if you have ever thought genuinely, I would love to take that, you have violated the Eighth Commandment according to Jesus. And if I haven't gotten you, Yet, I will get all of us with this one. We steal spiritually. Every single one of us has stolen glory that belongs to God. It's not your glory. It's His. And we have all fallen short in that area, have we not? Or maybe we've taken gifts that God has given us to be used for, for His service, used for the edification of the body of Christ, and we've used them for our own selves. We have stolen opportunities from people to hear the gospel. God put you in that family. God put you in that neighborhood. God put you at that job to, to share the gospel, and you've stolen that opportunity by saying nothing. We have stolen by not being generous with our money. Say, oh, no, he didn't. Oh, yes, I did. The Bible is very clear about this being an issue of theft. I'll give you one old and one new. Uh, Look at Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 8 in the Old Testament. It says, will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? Answer, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are what? Robbing me. The whole nation of you. In other words, you're robbing me by not being generous as I've called you to be. And then Paul says a similar thing in Ephesians 4, verse 28. He says, let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him labor, doing an honest work with his own hands, so that, here's the reason, he may have something to share with anyone in need. Tim Keller summarizes this so well when he says, You haven't stopped being a thief when you stop taking, but when you start giving. 
You haven't stopped being a thief when you just stop taking, but when you start giving, that is, you start being generous. Or I would put it this way, you don't just steal by taking, you steal by keeping. Keeping what God has told you to share, what God has called you to give, is theft. And therefore, as Bill Verdig says, there's only one statistic about stealing, and it's this. Everyone is a thief. You know, I'm so glad I came to church today. I told you at the very beginning of this series that I was going to give you ten reasons why you should be really thankful for Jesus. We have been given a command, and it is do not steal. And we understand why that is forbidden, why that's such a big deal because of, of stewardship, because of slavery, because of a sign that we rely on ourselves rather than relying on God. And there are so many ways that we can violate that command, which means we ought to be feeling at this point this tension. We need more than a command because clearly we can't keep it. What we need instead of a command is a contentment. Because without the contentment, we'll never fulfill the command. And that, my friends, is exactly how Jesus transforms this commandment. Do you remember a few moments ago when I told you that God, and by the way, I hope you do, it was just a few moments ago, okay? It hasn't been that long. God gave Israel the eighth commandment, do not steal because... He was going to provide for them. You you don't have to provide for you. I'm going to provide for you. You don't have to steal property. I'm going to give you property. You don't have to steal possessions. I'm giving you a possession in the promised land. Do you remember that? Say yes. Good. Now here's the question. How does that get reinterpreted in the New Testament? And what you need to understand, if you've zoned out, I need you to zone in this because this is so important that you see. This is the critical piece. In the New Testament, there is a major shift from seeing property as your inheritance to seeing a person as your inheritance. That's really important. I'm about to prove it. In other words, what was said of the promised land is now said in the New Testament of a person. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. I want everybody to say the first two words. In a person, in him that is in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 13, say it with me. In him, that is in a person, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Now watch this. Until we acquire possession of it. Faith family, that's the exact same language that we just read in Deuteronomy 1 verse 8 referring to the promised land. The shift now is not a plot of ground in the Middle East. It's the person of Jesus Christ. 
He's the inheritance. He's the possession. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercies, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Here it is. This is the good news that we see in the New Testament, namely that in Christ, God has given us more than the security of land. He has given us salvation in the Lord. He has given us more than the security of land. He has given us salvation in the Lord. Because when you have the person, you get the kingdom. When you have the person, you get the kingdom. Now you say, well, that feels like I just went to seminary class. Well, good. It won't hurt you, depending on what seminary it is, all right? Uh, but, but how do we take all that big, like, shift from the Old Testament to the New and bring it down practically to our life? In other words, what does seeing Jesus as your possession mean in light of the Eighth Commandment? I'm glad you asked that. There are three ways seeing Jesus as your possession, not property, but Jesus as your possession. How does that Uh, relate to the Eighth Commandment in your life. Number one, when Jesus is your possession, you have no motivation to steal. At least you shouldn't. Here's why. Why would you take something when you already have everything? That's a great place for an amen, right? Why would you take something when you already have everything? Jesus really is all you need. He's the pearl of great price. He's the treasure that's worth selling everything to get. Why would you steal a car when you're going to inherit the earth? What good does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The one thing your soul needs is Christ. And when your soul has him, you don't need anything else. And therefore, you lose all motivation to take because you have already received all you could possibly need. That is why our motivation not to steal is not that we have the law. Our motivation not to steal is we have the Lord. We, we have more than property. We have the ultimate possession, namely Christ. Here's the second way that having Jesus as the ultimate possession of your life changes the eighth commandment in your life. It is this, we still have joy when we're stolen from. We still have joy when we were stolen from. That is, when your possessions are not your ultimate possession, because Jesus is, you can lose your possession and not lose your joy. Why? Because they can't take Jesus from you. Let me give you an example of this in Hebrews 10, verse 34. It's exactly what we're saying here. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a what? A better possession and an abiding one. That is, you have Christ, and you can't lose Him. So even if you lose the things of this world, you do not lose your joy. 
This is why Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6 this very important thing. I'm going after your heart here. Jesus says this, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. You know why? Because moth and rust destroy and what? Say it. Thieves break in and steal. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. When Jesus is your ultimate possession, even if you lose your earthly possessions, you do not lose your joy. Here's the third and final way this is practical for us, is that when Jesus is your ultimate possession, you have plenty of motivation to be generous. You have plenty of motivation to be generous. If Jesus is your possession rather than your possessions, how can you not be generous with your possessions? Isn't that clear? (laughs) Say it again, but slower. If Jesus is your possession rather than your possessions then how can you not be generous with your possessions? In fact, what I will say to you, faith family, as your pastor, is if you are not generous, it likely means that your possessions are your possession instead of Jesus. There is no reason to not be radically generous when Jesus is the possession of your life. So, what does the Eighth Commandment teach us? It's forbidden to steal because of stewardship. You're violating the caretaking rights of others. When you steal, you're demonstrating a slavery in your heart. You're seeing this as a way out, and God is your ultimate way out. And you're demonstrating a self-reliance. I'll do this rather than trusting in God. But the problem is we break it all the time. We do it all the time in so many little practical ways Which is why today, faith family, I'm asking you, do not look to a commandment. Don't look to a commandment that says do not steal. Look to a cross. Look to a cross that says, look at all that God has given you in Christ. Because on the cross, unlike Sarah's father, God did not steal a life. God gave the life of His only Son. And He did it so that you and I could receive an inheritance that cannot be stolen from us. And so the Gospel cries out to you today this, Stop taking by force and receive Him by faith. Receive it. Don't take. Receive the free offer of an inheritance in Christ. And if you're here and you say, no, that is too good to be true for a thief like me, then let me remind you that when God crucified His only Son, He intentionally and sovereignly crucified Him between two thieves. And on that day, one of those thieves who had spent his life taking received an inheritance. And he did it not by stealing property. He did it with this. Today you will be with me 
in paradise. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. We are thieves. And we have violated the Eighth Commandment in so many ways. Which shows us we need more than a commandment. We need contentment this morning. And contentment only comes when Jesus is our ultimate possession. He's the ultimate one we treasure. And if there's somebody here this morning and that's not true of them, they're not a Christian. They, they have never come to the point where they went all in on Jesus. I pray this morning, I really pray this morning that they would turn from their sin in this moment and they would just say, Jesus, I want you. You alone are enough and I receive your grace. Others, as Christians, have wandered away in in the treasure of their heart. And I just pray this morning that that we would return to just say, you're the ultimate possession. And I want to receive all that you have given me in Christ. Father, you know every heart, every situation in this place today. Just come and talk to us and make Jesus our greatest treasure. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Would you please stand?